brother, who I thought was a stockbroker, who was one of, you know, the elite, um, who turns out that he was involved in the sex industry, um, in, in, in these clubs where they had people 13 passport found working in there. And all of a sudden I'm like, what is going on? And it's like the veil was ripped down from what I started to realize was running the country and the world. She owned a massage parlor um, right across the street from the high courts of Dublin. And she told me that they were her clients. And Bruce, the brother, would have had sex clubs uh, where there were different floors. And one floor was called Vanilla, one was um, pole dancing, and the upper floor was called Swamp, which was BDSM, very private elite clubs. So in systems in our country, can actually be employed as the biggest tools of abuse and they were willing to do so. I was very naive before that. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have part two with Lisa Temple. I can tell this is really hitting a nerve because of the comments I'm getting from people all over the place and emailing me and so forth. And I hope you take the time to watch part one of this where we discuss her background and then her husband, which was like he had a multiple personality. And to me, it seemed like he was demon possessed or something very evil was inside of him. And this one is her run in with the sex clubs and the underground and the elite. You'll hear all about it. It's what are top of most wealthy people in our society get off on. And it's their playground of total debauchery, I think, is what we have right now. And she just ran smack into it, and she's trying to protect her kids from it. And every mother would protect her kids from it. And this is where we're at with part two. But before we get into part two, I want to tell you about the Govi gas-saving tablets that save people about 20% or more if you keep using the tablets. And I have my results. So I wanted to share with people what I got. And I have two pictures here. This 25.8 miles per gallon is what I was, is what I was getting before. And then after I used one tablet, I was getting about 31.3 miles per gallon, which is a great jump. And I did, you know, a combination of city and highway. It really is an average type of drive. It wasn't all highway and it wasn't all city. It was just an average trying to match what I usually do. But as you use more tablets, you uh, save more gas. So I am going to be using another tablet and a couple, and I'll keep reporting back how much I'm saving with Govi. And you guys can save this too. And I have the link. It's uh, govi.com slash go slash help me save. And if you want to promote it, we want to get this out to as many people as possible because people really do need these savings. And I also really want to get reviews from people. I have have like two and I'm really waiting to get a, a handful of them. I've had some remarkable reviews, which I've shared in the past from other people, you know, other people who are promoting, but I haven't gotten them from mine, but this has my results. And so I'm so glad that I can share with you that I'm really seeing some improvements and I'm really excited about it. So I'll keep reporting once I get to the second tablet. I want to tell you that you need to 
use it on an empty tank and then put the gas in so it mixes around. I think some people are putting it on a full tank and it's not mixing in and they're not getting the results. So you need to put it on an empty tank. And then the other thing is make sure you're tracking what you're doing. If you're using just highway miles, then well, you're going to get a little bit better gas mileage if you're usually doing city miles. And if you're normally doing a lot more highway miles and you're doing just city miles, well, it's going to be a little worse than what you really are getting in benefits. But I am excited because I know I've proved to myself that my own car works. So again, govi.com slash go slash help me save. Okay, go to my website, sign up for my newsletter. Please share all that with everyone. And again, if you haven't watched part one, go back and watch part one. It's very good. It'll give you context of what this series of videos are. This is part two and there will be a part three. But let's get into part two with Lisa Temple. So, okay. So now did you see behind it? You saw it from all different perspectives, but was it him? What happened that you felt persecuted with him? Like he stole your house and they protected him, not you or what happened? So I find myself at home. I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. I don't have any family support because my mother would have been very much why didn't you just keep them sweet once a month? You know, you've lost your free travel. What will everybody say? That was, you know, yeah. The, because the definition of success for 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 my mother would have been what everybody thinks, and you know, social virtue signaling. It doesn't matter how you feel; it's how you how what everyone thinks. So I kind of felt realized I was kind of on my own, but I had good friends. But the court system to me, I thought, was where judges you know, administer judge, justice, you'd go in, you tell them the truth. And they, you know, and I didn't even know a divorce could take more than one day. So suddenly then this Asian woman appears on the scene, like literally within days of coming home and contacts me. And she said she was his new girlfriend. And I was like, oh, that was quick. Well done. Um, And I explained to her what had happened. I had a barring order, etc. And all of a sudden she started to take over everything. And then it turned out that he had been introduced to her by his brother, who I thought was a stockbroker, who was one of, you know, the elite, um, who turns out that he was involved in the sex industry um, in, in, in these clubs where they had people, 13 passport found working in there. And all of a sudden I'm like, what is going on? And it's like the veil was ripped down from what I started to realize was running the country and the world. And okay. I, okay. Hold on a second. So she started controlling everything. What do you mean by she started controlling everything? All his communications, his finances. Um, she was the one who was telling his legal teams what to do. She owned a massage parlor um, right across the street from the high courts of Dublin. And she told me that they were her clients. So um, she was a sex trafficking type and he got in into that circle. Um, from what she told me, uh, she had clients, um, in very high places, uh, in her massage parlors and Bruce, the brother would have had sex clubs, uh, where there were different floors and one floor was called vanilla. One was, um, pole dancing and the upper floor was called swamp, which was BDSM, very private elite clubs. So, these were then presenting themselves as the potential, what you call supervisors of my children on access. And I was reeling, like reeling, trying to process all of this because it was like 
masks were being torn off, torn off, torn off. And I'm like in the middle of, of the jurisdiction of the Irish courts. And suddenly I'm realizing and they're telling me you haven't got a leg to stand on. We have the highest echelons of the legal profession in this country. Uh, now, funnily, the word echelon is Irish for aeroplane and echelon is levels, but his brother's a bit thick. So he said the wrong words or maybe he didn't. I don't know. So they. So, uh, OK, so you you were worried now because now yeah. these scumbags were going to have access to your children. Yes. And not only that, they were using my children to taunt me like uh, the children would come home and say things that they'd seen or that been told. And I mean, you're talking about two little innocent girls who had had this beautiful life in Hong Kong and this beautiful life in in um, a medieval town in Italy and had never even watched TV. And then all of a sudden they were being exposed to these conversations and things that were just not nice. And of you course, mean they like, were they were having open conversations about yes, really yes. terrible things in front of them. Just inappropriate things like they would come home in their innocence and say, you know, they were licking each other's face like they were being sexualized in front of them mm. and they were inappropriate and you know asking is my ass sexy am I more sexy than your mother you know this sort of she I, would I, ask I'm, that like am, yeah. am I sexier than your, okay uh, yeah. <laughs> you're like oh I yeah, just know you don't, okay, you know, okay. so then I would go into court and I'd start expressing concerns and then I was being accused of parent alienation Oh, so parent alienation is a thing that abusers use. Um, and it was developed by Richard E. Gardner, who also said that paedophilia was a form of love and that any mother who suggested their child was sexually abused was was actually causing them harm. And if it was done properly, they'd enjoy it anyway. And he came up with this thing that he said, if women say that they're concerned about the welfare of their children, that they are inventing it and turning. So there was, I realized that in Ireland, if you expressed any concern about your children's well-being or welfare, uh, then you were immediately threatened that your children would be taken off you and given to the other person. And there's the in-camera rule. And Judge Judy came over. You can look this up from America. She's an arbitrator like, like I am. She arbitrates on the television uh, by consent of both parties. But So you, over- you became an arbitrator after this? Sometime well, I, had to, I had to go and study law in 2011 because I couldn't afford. They had a total of 27 solicitor barristers in four jurisdictions. So I couldn't afford that. And okay, I was that makes sense. OK, so I, it was suggested to me by a senior barrister. He said, go and learn because an arbitrator is trained as a judge. Uh, judges aren't even trained as judges, but arbitrators are. So I studied law and arbitration on top of working three jobs on top of all of these um, threats. You couldn't learn fast enough, right? <laughs> I didn't sleep. I was, yeah. I mean, plus I, it was I get the, it. the actual shock. I hadn't even processed the shock of what happened in Italy. It was the shock of realizing in systems in our country can actually be employed as the biggest tools of abuse and they were willing to do so. I was very naive before that. I didn't think yeah. that. I would have said to people, you know, the but surely and but frankly, but surely the judge would, but surely this. But in Ireland, I mean, you the, the whole place is run by boys clubs. We have the largest Freemason club 500 metres from our government office. You know, they have, whether it's a rugby club, a golf club or a Masonic club or the Knights of Columbanus or the Opus Dei or the Jesuits or the Freemasons, this country is sewn up. And, you know, it's one thing to have to go into a court and, 
you know, have an independent judge who might have their own even life prejudice. But there's another one when they have the capacity to have judges moved and different judges in and an in-camera rule and you can't speak and the door shuts behind you and you're in danger. So basically, go ahead. The very system that's supposed to protect you. So you were, did they take your kids at this point or were they just allowing they well, just I had access being forced, and then he started to tell the children that he was going to take them in a dark tunnel and in an airplane in a dark tunnel. And I got an awful fright because he used to say he would crash the airplanes and I was terrified. And then a forensic accountant found out that there were uh, fuel uh, costs on one of his uh, visa cards which were for which was for one of the small airports, I think Baldonon. So he was actually hiring light aircraft. So then I was terrified that he was going to hire a light aircraft and either take the children out of the country or crash the airplane. And, um, it, you know, it was it was horrific. And the forensic accountant was brilliant, better than any psychiatrist because she was able to see patterns of behavior. She found out, including the fact that he had gotten married bigamously in Las Vegas while we were married, she was able to see everything through his spending patterns. Um, so at that point, then I didn't know what to do. So was he I, still married? Okay, so he got he got married to, to another. Was it that the Asian woman he was married to, or was yes. it another woman? Okay, so he no, was no, married. Her. Okay, so he was married, and did she know that that you oh, were? He, oh yeah, she did. Sure, he got married six months after he met her in Las Vegas while we were still married. Okay, while we were still, while we were going through our divorce. Okay, is- so he were going through a divorce at the time, and so that was his reasoning. Okay, no, he so- didn't have reasoning because that's actually bigamy, section fifty-seven of the. Fence. No, no, I'm not. I mean, his reasoning with her, I guess. Okay, so what is? Did he get the children then? And what happened? You were freaked yeah. out because this so, nutbag. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so he had a, a particular barrister who honestly was not the sharpest tool in the toolbox. He wasn't great, but. It was unbelievable the power he seemed to have over judges in the courts. Like he could do anything he wanted and he got away with it. It was appalling. He even fired papers across the room at me one day. You know, they had broken all of the orders. But when that door was closed and in Ireland, you aren't allowed to speak about those things. It's called the in-camera rule. Um, you know, I realized that I was not safe in those courts. So um, I also was having uh, threatening phone calls from you know, different people like Irish people with inner city Dublin act and, and Asian people. And they were threatening uh, to harm me and my children if we didn't do what she said. OK, but and, now was it just for his was it because he just wanted custody or was it because you were exposing their sex ring and and their their other illegal activities? Well, none of that would have been exposed. I mean, I don't care what anybody does in their private life, but it wasn't like I went on a mission to expose them. It was it came to my attention and members of the police force told me that that's what they were involved in. And then these were being appointed as access for my children. So in this 14 years, if they had just walked away and left me alone, I wouldn't have known any of this. So I did not go on a, a rampage investigation. I was my instinct was screaming. The children were deeply unsettled. We were frightened and the courts were undermining every fear the children had and actually threatening to take them off me for expressing their fears. And I then had to become an FBI investigator. And I had no idea how deep the hole went. Okay. So we're going to talk more about this. So now 
um, your whole goal though, was just to get the children out of his hands so they could be safe. And did you end up exposing, do you ended up exposing a lot of their activities well, my, in my this goal process? Not, my goal was not to get the children out of his hands. I mean, I was still in that mindset of where's Keith, you know, now Cuban has gone and married this thing and has linked up with his brother who runs sex clubs. And I think for a long time, and maybe even still now, a small part of me is waiting for Keith to turn up. Was when you're wondering, okay, does he have black eyes all the time now too? I haven't seen him in a long time, but the change in him physically over the time in court, and even like, for example, the children who were never allowed to eat McDonald's, never allowed to eat sweets, when they did see him back then, he was eating, like they they were coming home like, mom, we don't know dad anymore. He talks different. He was like a different person. And he almost started to sound like his older brother, who's not a nice person at all. And, you know, they call each other fat boy and this and that. And this kind of, it was like Keith, I don't know, where was he? Who was he? He was gone. And this creature was, it was like Dorian Gray. It was like the painting was out from the attic in Dorian Gray. So, okay. So then what happened? You started to um, expose. Is that what you did? You, well, first of all, were your, were your children abused during this process? No. Well, not, no, 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 they weren't. But no, and I can tell you one thing. If anyone ever had touched them, I would have killed them. I'm just going to say that. Okay. So no, they weren't. But they were completely traumatized. Um, they were stressed. They were frightened. They kept being told that their mother was going to be put in prison, that I, we were going to be killed. Um, but as regards, you know, um, they weren't beaten and they weren't, you know, I'm, I never, ever claimed or that. Although there was one point where they were talking to a friend of mine and she was a very close friend. She was a very senior she was head of Microsoft in Ireland and she then became head of Science Foundation. She was like a mum to me and a granddaughter to the children. And she, when she realised that the industry that they were in, she was very concerned about the children. But um, no, it was just highly traumatic. I mean, my daughter lost five, four kilos. Um, There was nightmares. You know, they were being dragged from one place to another. Um, It was horrible. They were being interviewed by a Professor Jim Sheehan who... It hasn't got the qualifications, but is one of the friends of his brother. And he has the gravy train in the Irish courts of interviewing mothers who say they have a problem, threatening to take their children, keeping it behind the in-camera rule and taking their children. And that's still happening to this day. Uh, and I'll never forgive him. And I told him that I will never. He said, let's forget about the whole thing and because I beat them. And I'll tell you how I beat them in a minute. But I'll never forget that. Shame on him. His mother's. Mm. It's just incredible. Okay, so now what you you kept fighting and did were the kids just between both of you at this point or did he in have beginning, custody? Yeah, no, the beginning I was trying to, there was access and there was supervised access because he, he then attacked me on two occasions when I had went to collect the children on, and when he was under a, a barring order. Um, so he, he was convicted of that, but his solicitor got him off, brother of the Jim Sheehan, uh, got him off by saying that if he um if he was imprisoned for beating me up again um he would lose his job and wouldn't be able to pay his maintenance and mortgage which is hilarious considering where we are today so I had then 
been encouraged to go into the police station in Ireland for assistance. And when I went in, um, I showed the diaries and the letters that he had written and what had happened. And this particular policeman said, you're in danger of femicide. And what does that mean? In danger of is being killed by your oh. wife, being killed by your husband. Okay. And he said to me, do not let, you know, protect your children. And I said, but do you realize that you're saying that as a policeman? But the family courts are ordering. And he said, well, nobody will ever thank you if your children are killed for following an order. Um, so there's a problem. There's a big problem in Ireland. It, it will They will not clarify whether criminal law supersedes family law and they will not clarify whether now commercial law supersedes criminal law. So it appears that the destruction of the family and the tyranny of um, the um, com commerce uh, now excuses those agendas to commit any crime they wish. And that is what capitalist anarchy or is it tyranny? But that is now the black hole is fully in control. OK, so how old are your children now? Anu is uh, 17, just just gone 18 last week, and Lily Rose is 21. OK, so they're out of that. Um, the Are, are they out? out of I've actually done it. I've, I've brought them to adulthood now safely. Um as safely as I could, I I, I let I I had that back whipped like I did on my dream, and they're they're two magnificent children. But you know, their entire childhood was spent with their father, an Asian thing, and his. Uh, and by the way, I have no problem. I had a Japanese uh, bridesmaid. I lived in Asia. It's got nothing to do with anyone's uh, race, but I believe that women who uh, assist in torturing other women. I think there's a real special place in hell for that. I really do. I hold women to a higher standard, Sarah, than I do men. Um, well, I don't know if I hold them to a higher standard because I think we're all souls and people. But well, what I do. The hell, birth. I mean, I certainly remember the life before I walked out of hospital having a child and not. And there is something that has to be acknowledged about the the the, the mothers and children are important in society. They're yes. the poor natural portal for life um and you know if you never had a, um, a dog or a cat you're not going to understand somebody's loss or you know for that it's when you've experienced it when you've given birth to life I think uh, you have a duty mothers have a duty to each other especially mothers have a duty to each other and women are very cruel to each other we but are cruel to each one other of the things, yeah one of the things that that people like my ex-husband do is they triangulate so they know when you're trying to get away and they set up a triangulated situation um and they always triangulate so they will immediately go into another relationship with another woman and then that usually is forged your your hatred of you is forged and fuels that relationship and it can go on for 14 15 16 years you become the fuel um of their relationship it's a bit like adam and eve and lilith so, okay. So do your children have anything to do with them now? No, they have tried. They've reached out. Uh, he, he, he broke off all contact with them. He said that he wanted full custody of them and me not in their life whatsoever and all the assets and me to take all the debts. That was his negotiation. Um, he, he refused to be a dad and he wanted to be, to have full ownership because you see, we're, 
they only see things in terms of property. We're not even human to them. It's how do we make them feel? What asset are we to them or what inconvenience? And um, you're not a person. You're not a person. Okay. So now you ended up running into the system. You've been fighting the system on a whole nother level. Now this kind of went at, you were exposed to all this. And then did you think that that was, I mean, why did you start fighting after this all kind of ended? Why are you still fighting the system? What okay. Happened? Well, first of all, I have never fought the system. I have defended myself against the system. I've never taken a case against anybody. They came at me over and over again with everything they could, whether it was um, like at one point the in the middle of me trying to save, you know, the house and organize the finances and, you know, organize him to have access with the children under terms that they would feel safe. Example, when he when he had broken all the court orders and committed perjury, um, I had what's called a committal and attachment, which was worth asking the courts to make him do the court orders. The um, Asian woman took um, a vexatious case against me, claiming that I called her a hooker, which is a prostitute. So that went to court. And I think she, that she, they paid about 100000 for that. So by the time that got to court, I just said to the judge, I, I never called her a prostitute. I said, I, I do believe that she may be a pimp. Um, and the judge said, you know, well, that's more serious than a prostitute. I said, yes, I know. And I said, if you want to change the civil bill from prostitute to pimp I'll consent and I'll go ahead and I'll give you the evidence and the judge said so you'll be giving an affirmative defense and I said absolutely it was not mendacious it was not vexatious and it was not malicious and um she pulled back the case and ran out of the court that day uh because I was going to present the evidence but I have never fought the system the system in its entirety in the in the, in the hidden hand of its depth of the bowels of the Irish power crawled out and has come after me and my daughters in every way for the last uh, 14 years and accumulating into, as I said, now I'm up in uh, as they brought criminal charges against me for defending my daughter on the 30th of March. OK, so what you OK, so now did you kind of become get a reputation? Like, did they see you as more of somebody who was a a fighter or wh what is the deal? Like, why did you, why do you think they, there's now this thing against you in the system? I think there's a couple of things. Um, first of all, not everybody in the system was actually involved in this campaign of corruption. Um, I mean, I could, th there was a number of judges who were, they moved to on, on when there was important dates, they would particular judges kept popping up like a bad egg. Um, his barrister, I will never forgive. But a couple of things would have happened. Like um, I remember one day in court, his barrister had done something particularly nasty. He had, he had said that I could translate all of the Italian documents myself, which Italian legal documents are horrendously long. So I would be working my three jobs, studying, being a full time mom and then translating all of the night, which would have saved me like $40,000 of translation fees. And when I arrived in then on my knees and my tires would have been slashed that morning outside my house, for example, to get it, it was just constant torture. And when I got in, um, the lawyer said, oh, judge, you know, if she who translated those documents? And I said, I did. You said I could. And then he said, no, judge, that's without prejudice. I'm not allowing that. And then the judge is under obligation and not to allow like things like that. And outside the court, I remember saying to this guy, Clive Brennan, 
I said, you've had a new child. I said, um, your daughter will marry a man like your client and will be divorced by a barrister like you. And when I say he hit the roof and what I was trying to do was get him to realize, you know, what he was doing. But he ran into the courtroom, interrupted the judge and said, judge, judge, she's hexed me. And that was the first time I've ever heard the word hex. And it was a female judge, Leonie Reynolds. And she said, what did she say? And he said, she said, um, I can't say it. It's a hex. And she asked me and I told her, I said, I said that his daughter could marry a man like his client and would be divorced by a barrister like him. And the judge looked at me and she kind of looked at him and she said, why would you consider that a hex rather than a blessing? I thought it was one of the most cleverest things I've ever heard a judge say. And, but I realized that they what, had, that is cool. What did they what did he say? Oh, he walked out and he went over to my ex-husband and they I heard them say, what do we need to make to put that make to get that Catholic bitch on her knees, which is what his brother and this uh, Asian. Wanted. But I know that they began to become superstitious of me because of the things that I was able to do of the thing, how quickly I was able to learn. Um, and I do know that during my life with me, my ex-husband would have seen things that he would call miracles, which I would call natural. I mean, if you look out at a rose to me, that's a miracle. So a miracle is part of nature, but certainly things would have, he would have seen things based on my faith that happened that should, you know, bring gratitude in your heart. But if you're of a kind of an occult superstitious type mind, I think they started to think it was some sort of a battle between their egregore and, and me, you know, an egregore would be that it's a kind of a French or a Latin, I think Greek word is what they bring down. So an egregore is, is the energy that they create. It's like an, an entity, a mind entity that a group can create and each occult lodge would, would do activities that would create this egregore and then that egregore would have this external power um you know i i don't i don't do deal with that stuff i have no interest so he was he part of the occult at this point well the word occult uh you see i don't like to over credit any of these little boys sure big powers because they really don't but um the word occult means hidden so whether, you know, golf clubs in Ireland were quite powerful, uh, but so are school uh, boys and friends and college. But, oh, my God, so are the Freemasons. And we have the second largest lodge in the world. And our lodge is very connected to the Israeli belief rather than the, than the Scottish rights belief. And that's a whole other, the Jew, the, the Zion and Jewish Irish connection and the lost tribe of Dan and all of that sort of stuff, which is, is all their belief systems. So would, uh, when, when they bring out their big boys and their big guns and they predict your reaction, which should be to get down on your knees, have a nervous breakdown, go batshit crazy. When your response is not something they predicted because you're acting from um, source rather than um, ego. They start to get very scared and very superstitious. And then they build up armies against you. 
Okay. So you think that that those group of people saw you as an enemy because they, so they, uh, is it like some weird cult? You think it's some weird cult reason why, why they are going after you? Well, occult means hidden. Um, so if you're standing in a court and you think you've got an independent judge and you've got a barrister and solicitor and on the surface, it all looks like it's going according to like, you know, just a normal court case. But then if there has been hidden phone calls or hidden hands behind that, that hidden word, occult means hidden, underhanded. So absolutely, yes, they had an underhanded thing, which also had a tinge of um, superstition on their behalf. Which and then you bring in a load of coincidences, um, and they just get super super paranoid. Well, was and, it was it so? Is it an organized group of people or pseudo organized that are in these groups that are going after you? Yes. Okay, that's a better way of asking it. Okay, so uh, now what is happening now, and why do you think they're going after you now? Well. In 2010, I had the, the the bank coming after me because he had taken the mortgage and they had refused to do the investigations. Then I had the family law courts, which one wasn't talking to the other. So he was putting perjury into one and, and different things into the other. And then I had the civil law he was coming after and then the criminal law. And then he was having law going on in, in Thailand and in Italy. And I was handling all of this and he had enough money to just pay legal teams to do it. And I was also trying to be a mom, but I also was was frightened and there was the assaults as well and the death threats. So I had gone to this policeman and um, I went in. I'd never really been in the station before, told him everything. And he took a special interest in the case, um, hugely special interest. And then he began to tell me what was on the system and he began to explain to me what these people were involved in and, um, you know, so you ran in south into some pretty good people along the way. Okay, well, it was he not a good person. We ended up in a relationship for eight years. Um, I would I thought he was our protector, but I think now I would say he was a predator. And when I went in, the one thing I will say is he came from a different a very inner city Dublin area. And he said to me, you know, straight into the face, he said, you're too much of an idealist. You keep waiting for the best of people to come up. He said, I know exactly what we're dealing with here and it's scum and I will protect you and the children. But he was very controlling and used all the resources he had as a policeman, you know, to to control our movements, etc. And he also kept me in quite a lot of terror and he would come home and tell the children and myself, things that had happened to, you know, domestic violence victims and 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 women and children. And it, it was horrific. And he, just like my ex-husband had a dream of, um, you know, being the, the captain on the jumbo by the time he was 40, this guy had a dream of being one of the special forces um, in Ireland, which is called the ERU. So when they kind of want they have this goal about themselves then all of their personality traits are put down to oh but i'm eru material i'm special force i'm tier one and a deep love of violence and aggression so myself and the girls had this person that was presenting as our protector 
telling us we couldn't trust the Gardaí, we couldn't police, we couldn't trust the courts. And then on the other hand, we had this group, you know, my ex-husband and this Asian woman and his brother who we had thought his brother was just a stockbroker. Um, and we were caught in the middle of all of this and we were trying to live our lives throughout this. So it got to a point then I had my own business and I was also then helping other people who are going through court system, writing lessons, explaining things to them, helping their children. And I had a studio that I set up called A Little Piece of Peace. And I was teaching yoga and meditation downstairs and I was doing arbitration upstairs. So I qualified as a, an arbitrator and an arbitrator is the same as a high court judge, but our orders are enforceable in 144 countries in the world. So I was one of the only arbitrators who were not an ex-lawyer, barrister or judge. And I helped a lot of people avoid the same situations that we did in high conflict divorce through uh, the, the courts. They actually came and I did that for them. And then it got to the point where this the opportunity came up for this policeman that we were I was in a relationship with to become um, to go in, enter into the special forces and do the selection course, which is like hell week that the, the Navy do. And he realized when he was in there that he would need something called pull, which is, you know, um, connection. And he was very ambitious. And he had asked some of my friends to put in a word for him, but they always felt he was too aggressive. So then he brought me in, introduced me to the head of the training and asked me to, to help it deliver a program in there um, for stress and yoga meditation for the special forces, which I did. He ended up failing the course and became even more and more aggressive. I managed to leave that and I was then developing a course which was supposed to be delivered out to all of the police, um, kind of an ethical, mindful meditation course and yoga course. And um, a couple of months later, which was 2018, I get a contact from a woman claiming that she was in a relationship with him, that he had lied to both of us, that she was afraid. And I went up to assist her um, she didn't come to the door. He came out and he called his unit and they came up and they arrested and smashed my car about 30 times and brought me to the station and they attempted to criminalize me. So at that point, this. Okay. Particular... So, so this, this is your ex, is he, it was your ex second ex-husband? No, I didn't marry him. We were in a relationship. Oh, okay. You were in a relationship. Okay. So now. I and he's marry. the one that got you arrested. Now, is this what just happened last week? No, this was in 2018. So okay. I went of the domestic violence victim. Myself and my daughters went down to the chief superintendent after I was released. And we spent a total of about 10 hours with him. And he leaned forward and he said to my daughter, who was 14 then, and my other one, he said, your mom has been a victim of um, a bad egg in the police and my daughter said um i think you're incorrect she was uh he was a predator and we went in looking for help as a domestic violence victim and it was eventually his unit that arrested her on behalf that we knew him so she said i think on garda shiokona which is the irish police have a problem of a bad omelet not a bad egg and then she proceeded, because she's the very intelligent one in the family, to tell, give him an overview of what it was like for us as domestic violence victims in Ireland, being tortured through my ex-husband's contacts in the in the courts 
And then when we try to escape from this, from on members of Garda Corner, and that chief superintendent promised he would deal with it. Um, he sent it to the governing body. They brought me in. And when I started to explain the overall corruption of everything that happened, they said that they would write my statement for me to contain it. And I said I didn't need them to write my statement. They said to me, if we walked into your yoga studio, we wouldn't tell you how to teach yoga. And I said, yes, but I'm also an arbitrator and I know how to write a statement. So I came to loggerheads of the overriding body because they couldn't contain me and I wanted to tell everything. So that policeman at that stage was in trouble from both this other woman, me, his chief superintendent and them. And I suspect that it's possible he then went to my ex-husband's brothers and they joined up and uh, they upgraded the charge from trespass to reckless endangerment, which was uh, trying to imprison me just as I was about to present the evidence to the court of the fraud and everything else uh, to about the Bank of Ireland and everything else surrounding that. And that was just before COVID. And I then began to make videos and I'd never made videos before. I was the first video I ever made and I'll send it through to you was called shame, the alchemizing power of shame. And I started to make videos to try to give my daughter a space to make, to do her leaving cert, to keep basically the banks, the wolves, the guards, everybody from our door. I, I, I went public very philosophically. And with that, the, the guardie, the police came up and said, oh, we've dropped all the charges. You don't have to mention any of this on your videos. So I made videos for a while until my daughter finished her exams in school. And I was I hated it. I hated doing it. I hated the the amount of pain people would email me with that I couldn't help them with. I as know. you know, as well, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. I'm also quite a shy person. I mean, this is the person that wanted to be the Carmelite nun. So I felt my skin was peeling off me. And um, I never scripted any of my talks. So I stopped suddenly doing them after having, I think, about 175,000 views, which was quite good. But I felt kind of overwhelmed. And then COVID hit. And I put everything in writing to the highest authorities of the country. During COVID, I was locked in my house, basically dealing with PTSD or complex PTSD from the accumulation of everything locked down in the city centre and then with the whole COVID thing happening, which I could see what was happening from day one. And um, I started to write these letters, you know, dear Helen acting as Minister of Justice. And I wrote to the woman and to the man, the highest authorities in this country. And I wrote to them as a woman. I didn't go out protesting. I didn't do videos. And I told them that my knowing is that they have been lied to by the ultimate liar. And that in the last three minutes of their life, they were going to realize. And I started to invite them into their truth. Now, that doesn't sound very like bad, but oh, my God, has it pissed everybody off to tell them that to remove their position, their egregore the system as an excuse for their behavior and to tell them that this do as thou wilt is a lie and that they are the ultimate slaves and they are going to be the ultimate victims of what they were doing and that mundus to sepiter virgus ergus to sepiter vult apply to them too let them who can be deceived be deceived 
it has really bothered them. And I know because I could see how many times, hundreds of times they opened the emails. 